Welcome to another episode of Up To. Nine years ago, Up To started as a live event series showcasing leaders who are as humble as they are successful. The humility piece is extremely important as we identify leaders who can inspire others. We try to focus our interviews on the non-business aspects of their lives, and in doing so, have found there is a real thirst to explore their hearts and minds in atypical ways. Our host, as always, is Adam Kaufman. And on this episode, we are joined by Rick Goings. Thanks for joining us. We'll be right back. During the first season of the Up To podcast, I had several companies and entrepreneurs approach me about potential partnerships, but I'm really selective before choosing to do something like that. One choice we did make happily is to partner with Vivid Front, a full service digital marketing and website design agency based in Cleveland that works with both local and national brands. They've built their entire client base on referrals and they've won a lot of awards, including the 2019 Inc. Magazine Top 5,000 Fastest Growing Companies, North Coast's Top Places to Work, and several others. They're known for their talent, they're known for their creativity, they're known for their culture, a firm I liked before we agreed to partner together for the show. Check out vividfront.com, or you can email me and I'll introduce you to their dynamic leader, Andrew Spott. Welcome back. You are listening to the Up To Podcast with host Adam Kaufman. Today's guest is Rick Goings. Our guest today served as the chairman and CEO of one of the most recognized brands in the world, Tupperware, and led that international company to considerable growth for 20 years. He is a Vietnam era veteran of the US Navy. Thank you for your service, Rick. In the role of navigator on the USS Power, he dropped out of college to start his first company, Dynamics Inc., selling fire alarms, which became his first big success. He has been recognized as a prestigious Knight of the Legion of Honor by French President Nicolas Sarkozy for his work on behalf of women and children in developing countries. And he's also won the Marco Polo Award in China for economic development. He is spending much of his time now on a major initiative as founder and board chair of the World Federation of Youth Clubs, and he's also on the national board of the Smithsonian. If you don't already get a sense of it, Rick is passionate about service. He's also won the Herbert Hoover Award for his national chairmanship of the Boys and Girls Club of America. Life has not always been easy for our guest today, this uber successful achiever. However, we'll talk about that. I uncovered a CNBC article titled, How Rick Goings Went From Being Dirt Poor to the CEO of a $2 billion company. And at one point as a young adult, he was selling encyclopedias door to door. He and his wife split their time between Orlando, Florida and Charlottesville, Virginia. And we are so pleased to get to spend time with this truly humble leader today. Rick Goings, welcome to Up To. Adam, good to be with you, my friend. Well, what have you been up to? You know, I finished 45 minutes ago uh, at Peter Drucker. We were, uh, I think we had people from 22 countries, and we're sitting here uh, talking about post-pandemic world. I've been on the board of, Drucker was Austrian, and my heritage, my grandparents were Austrian, and most people think he was an American, but he wasn't. And so we have an annual forum. They're really studying 
the management styles of Peter Drucker. And you know, Adam Wow was he ahead of his time because he really was the first one that talked about when the world is run by technology and not by human and, and the heart, we're in trouble. And now we're just coming to that right now. And Peter's been dead a decade. Well, he was definitely a, a prophet with today's world of AI and natural language processing and all the data analytics that evaluate every behavior we all do. Wow, what a, what a forward thinker. Uh, you mentioned you're part Austrian, is that right? Yeah, the, the, and uh, my whole mother's side, that we're all Austrian. Well, let's, let's start there. What type of family were you born into? Actually uh, mixed, you know, it, it is amazing. Um, the, the older we get, uh, it's my hope that for most people, we become more authentic. And so some of those things I used to, oh, try to keep it a secret that I quit college. And then it became a badge of honor. Uh, I read it in your bio. My, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, my father basically uh, was illegitimate. He was from uh, his last name was York. Uh, my mother, uh, they were from Germany uh, and, and Austria. Uh, they met early uh, days of the Second World War. Um, I was raised in, in Chicago. Um, it would be um, glossing over to say I didn't have a troubled childhood. I left home at, uh, at 16. Uh, I think I was the only kid in my high school that I had a, uh, I lived in a rooming house my senior year. And mm. uh, it is interesting that this, my mom always has said to me, and my mom lived till 96 and was a dear, uh, but she always said, those stuff, those things are going to make you stronger, Rick. And she's the one that named me Rick because my formal name is Everett Vernon Goings. And she had just seen Casablanca and Rick's bar. And <laughs> she said, I want to call him Ricky. It's a cool name. It's a manly name. Wow. So yeah. do you think, I mean, I'm sure your mother was right. That early, untraditional childhood and your teenage years, did that continue to shape who you became as an adult? Yeah, it really did. And, and seeing the, the uh, my dad died young and he was a troubled soul most of his life. And to see how my mother, what she had to endure, probably Adam helped me become more passionate about women's empowerment, uh, which has really defined a good part of my life. Uh, mm. And my mom was smarter than me, and she lived till 96, and God bless uh, goodness, she was just wonderful. Well, I want to get into your focus on women empowerment in a bit, but let's talk about what maybe you're most known for, at least from outsiders, and that's your leadership of this major global brand Tupperware, and I know that one of the things you enjoyed doing was rallying the troops and getting everyone so excited and getting your sales team pumped up, and you'd have a couple thousand adoring fans and deputies cheering you on. Did you ever think, like, how did I get to this point, this stature, given where you started out? Oh, many, many times, Adam. As a matter of fact, a dear friend of mine, Joyce Rocher, who ended up running Girls, Inc., and 
was on our Tupperware board for years. She wrote a book about the imposter syndrome. Oh, and yeah. I, I, I always worried that, uh oh, people are going to find out I'm not as good as they think I am. I'm a fraud. And uh, yeah, and it's uh, but but that's that that exists. And the more we talk about that, uh, you know, it's interesting. I was having a, a conversation with a behaviorist and they were talking about charisma and they were talking about because we had 3.2 million women and I'd be in, you know, 20 countries a year on stage. I'd either use the native language or one of the languages I could speak or I would I would have simultaneous trans translation. And they would say, well, how do you how do you connect with, with them? Uh, and um, I really do think the charisma is is the ability that in per person to show humility mm -hmm. uh, and find ways of connecting with them. And I wouldn't stay on stage. I'd be down there with them. Uh, you know what it was called, as a matter of fact, public intimacy. And public the more intimacy. you can create public intimacy and the more they would find out about my background and what happened with me, uh, the more they could say, well, wait a minute, what's possible for me? Mm -hmm. So I would actually use that as leverage, not for me, but for them. Right. This show up to the theme is leaders who are as humble as they are successful. And so that's an aspect of your humility coming out right there. I think another aspect of humble leadership is empathy. You're also describing empathy, Rick. And I did a little research talking to people close to you, and they also describe you as a very empathetic human being. Did you ever think about empathy, or that's just something naturally you're born with? I, um, I really feel compassion for other uh, people. I, I have a thing that I've always said that my purpose was, as I became in roles of leadership, was to do my best to create an operating environment where people could, in fact, grow and become best versions of themselves. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I've always believed that uh, uh, the more you, if you really want to have people that stay with, with you, you have to connect with them. Absolutely. Uh, it, I must tell you, it came naturally, though. Yeah. Uh, I, I agree. I don't think you can like, go to school and learn how to be empathetic. That's something people either born with or they're not. And we both know people who aren't empathetic. So it's really a gift that you've been able to um, allow you to flourish in your various leadership roles. You've also been an entrepreneur. You've been an entrepreneur of your own little business, and you've been the CEO of a major corporation. Two different things. Oftentimes, people will just go down one track. Um, talk a little bit about the differences in terms of the risk that you have to take as your entrepreneurship begins with selling encyclopedias door to door, or if you started a company selling fire alarms. It's different than running a big corporation, isn't it? It is actually equal responsibility, though, because the two companies I started every Friday, I had to write the paychecks. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, for the individual. So there was a lot at risk. Uh, I, I, I was blessed, though, that I've always, Adam, I've always had uh, and sought out mentors. Uh, interesting, last time I was chair of Boys and Girls Clubs of America, and you know, we have 4,000 clubs across the U.S., one of the people 
I recruited on the board, was raised at a boys and girls club, a person you'd know, Denzel Washington. But anyway, there was a guy in the club where he was raised in Mount Vernon, New York, named Billy Thomas. And we decided, uh, we decided, you know what, we're going to write a book about uh, mentorship. And so we collected from alumni 75 different stories, and we called it, we put Denzel on the cover, and we called it A Hand to Guide Me, and he got on all the talk shows, etc. Well, Adam, one night I was sitting there saying, okay, we've written this, who do I send this to? Because how many people have helped me? All I can tell you is I ordered initially 24 copies, but it wasn't enough. I mean, mm. that's how many... So uh, I have not had one. I've had so many people. And I think the mistake so many people who reach some level of success uh, make is they don't uh, give a shout out to them. I thought you were going to say this, Rick, that there are a lot of leaders who aren't humble, so they don't feel like they need mentors. I deal with a lot of entrepreneurs in my venture capital life, and I'm always encouraging them to create advisory boards, even if it's not an official governing board, bring in more mentors in your world who, who can add to your skill set. And sadly, too often, I think they don't do that. So that's another sign of your humility that you were seeking this mentorship, uh, maybe to fill in gaps in your own life, or you just knew, I know I'm a sponge around, well, frankly, people like you who've already been there, done that. So I, I love that you, you thanked so many of these mentors. Yeah. And uh, I must tell you, though, uh, and I stay in touch with them. And they, uh, this has been uh, a path for, for me and for them. Uh, so when I go back to the original, uh, God, the, I worked at a clothing store in Wheaton, Illinois, and, uh, and uh, I still stay in touch with him. Uh, mm. I didn't even know how to tie a tie uh, back then, but I can go every step of the way of how the individuals have really helped me. And do you now have some protégés that you're helping in a similar way that you were helped? Let me tell you probably, hey, you know, I can give you the stuff that's written about that we were during my my years of being, uh, when the average CEO was six years, they lasted as a public company. I lasted four times that as a Remarkable. public company. Portman most admired uh, eight years in a row and best company for leaders. But let me let me put that aside. That isn't what I'm proudest of. The proudest I am is related to your question. I never in my career at particularly Avon and Tupperware ever had a direct report quit and go somewhere else. Uh, That's because. Remarkable. Well, but what but there's your responsibility as a leader, create an operating environment where you attract great people, empower them, develop them, reward them. Why would they go? Uh, and that's why it is interesting now. I think the Pepper was on its third. I'm not proud of this CEO since I since I uh, stepped down. But a very interesting point. Uh, Susan, my wife, was kidding with me. Uh, she was a very successful ABC, biggest market in the country, broadcaster, uh, Los Angeles. And she was kidding me. She said, Rick, 
you are doing three or four hours a day on mentor calls with the guys who were your senior guys on your team, helping them move here. Actually, you live in Cleveland. I just helped one of my, she was terrific in strategy. She was saying, ah, do I want to live in Cleveland? Because she had an offer there. And I said, let me talk to you about Cleveland. I hope you talked her into it. Oh, I did. And she said, yes. And now she's a senior VP with a very, very big company, bigger than than Tupperware. The point I'm getting at is I was very, very proud of that. We did um, last September, I got a, a copy of the um, Dionne Warwick uh video that's what friends are for mm -hmm. that was she did a couple other singers and i had put together a five minute video after you know i'll send you a copy okay and i sent it to everybody who was a member of my management teams for the last decades and it showed them in all kinds of different situations mm -hmm. so i mean it was that was a joy uh, I that can tell. I mean, and, and so to be clear, your wife is saying that you're still spending these hours with your former direct re reports. That wasn't when you were CEO. That's still currently. Is that what you're saying? Oh, still current. And I'm. Uh, wow. Oh, so look, and, but uh, that's where I view that as part of a joy. Yes. And, and a responsibility. I mean, there's a great saying one of my Greek buddies I uh, said, Nikos Konstantzakis wrote Fiddler on the Roof, but one of his great quotes was, don't seek friends, seek comrade in arms. And so that, what really drove that company, we took it, you know, took it public and grew to, you know, the size and mm -hmm. 3.2 women, was we had, there was a sense of passion and purpose sure. in it. And, uh, you know, and you, 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 you build a collection of people around the world. And yep. beginning with the pandemic, the young guy, he's 52 years old now, but he was with me 20, 22 years, who ran our China business. Mm -hmm. Every Saturday morning for 23 weeks, I had a one hour Zoom since March 10th, mm. uh, wherever that second Saturday was uh, and we had one last week because he's he's Chinese he, his family is in Australia neither are able to see each other and great we're kind of collaborating on the rest of his life that's a you know, joy I wasn't planning on asking this but maybe do you miss being CEO at this point you're spending so much time with these former colleagues do you ever think about I'm sure people flirt with you about re-entering the, the boardroom as a CEO or starting a SPAC or I mean, maybe you're, maybe you have a SPAC. I mean, that's the new thing right now with successful leaders like you, but do you ever miss the, uh, the officialness of the boardroom and the, the leadership of a big company? Actually that I don't the, uh, and I've kept up the relationship. So I'm, I'm very busy. Awesome. I'm not a workaholic. I've always been, you know, driven to the things that, that I'm passionate uh, about, but the uh, the relationships uh, they have always mattered. No, I don't miss that. And I, I finally came out with a form uh, answer when somebody would call me about a SPAC. I mean, mm. no, 
Okay. You know, enough of that. That's what I'm, I'm trying to add value in the world. Yeah, you're in a, you're in a different season of your life right now. Clearly, you're you're in a different place, and and we're all benefiting from that. Now, I know that you spend a fair amount of time on a on a horse farm in Virginia. Is there something therapeutic about being in that type of environment after you were? on the treadmill that begins at zero every month and the rat race for so many years? Is there like a different type of maybe um, wellness benefit to that type of lifestyle? Well, there's a couple things uh, really that drive that. Firstly, uh, I lived 15 years in Charlottesville and I love the academic environment and had, you know, the former head of the law school and had a business school on my boards when I was in my 20s. So my, my friends there, I always kid them, they're all smarter than me. They all mm-hmm. wanted to do the adventure I did, live all over the world, etc. But they were always the kid in the front row, hand up, went to Yale, uh, etc. <laughs> I just love the relationships that Susan and I have. But the soulful thing about Charlottesville, and back to the thing in the, in the farm, I've done transcendental meditation starting in Charlottesville, since I was 29 years old. That was my Twice next question. Day. I was going to ask you about well, meditation. Go ahead. After we, after we, we finish this, I will do my afternoon uh, meditation. So there is a thing about uh, being soulful, being there uh, in, in the country. I love being on horseback. There's a freedom uh, hmm. uh, to it. And... I will tell you, I'll be usually with, you know, one friend always when I'm on horseback, and but I rotate it. And we just talk about everything. Mm. And, you know, we're out there and we see eagles and deer and everything. And we just talk about everything. So it's a wonderful connection. Sounds terrific. I, I don't golf, but many describe golf that way, that just the bonding that occurs. Uh, you mentioned meditation, and I was going to ask you about TM. I'm usually in Silicon Valley a lot with my work life, not during COVID, but out there that has become so popular. Can you talk a little bit about what is transcendental meditation and and how that benefits you? Firstly, it, it is, let me tell you what it's not. And, okay. and by the way, my friend Bob Roth, who is really the key guy of the David Lynch Foundation, uh, would say this, it's not a religion, it's not a way of life, you don't have to believe in something, but it was a practice taken out of what Buddhist monks do. And greatest example, and I'm plagiarizing what Bob would tell you, imagine you're in a 10-foot boat out in the ocean. By its nature, uh, the ambient environment of the ocean is reflective of what's happening in the environment. If the seas are calm, it's calm. That's your, that is your, you know, surface mind. But you go down, I'm a scuba diver, you get down even a hundred feet in, in a hurricane, it's calm. There's mm. always a place available to you like that. And that's what transcendental meditation does. Uh, you describe that well. I've, I've never got it. That's good. Yeah. Keep going. It sends Sorry. you to a different state, and I can be refreshed uh, after. You know, one of the greatest two things I've mentioned, we just started a thing uh, uh, 
called 21 to None. Uh, and Bob Roth was the head of starting this. And uh, uh, 21 veterans are dying every day by suicide. And mm. they basically they completed two tests at the VA that said TM is more effective than the other kinds of interventions and treatment. We have one more test where, and we've invested in doing this. Uh, General, four-star General Spider Marks and I are behind this. We just created the brochure and it's mm. 21 to none. This stuff, this stuff works. I mean, there used to be a great uh, African-American minister by, Re by the name of Reverend uh, Ike. And I loved what he used to say you can't lose with the stuff I use. And that's how <laughs> I feel about it. It's always been, it has always been a tool. Do it twice a, twice day? a day? And how, how many minutes yes. per time? And do you have to minutes. be in a certain place or you can no. do this anywhere? I have been anywhere. You learn how to have control of it. And this isn't like any other kinds of meditation. It really is very different. And by the way, Studies that, that at, at medical school show a long-term meditator by age 50, their brain is 14 years younger because mm. you have stress throughout the day and it burns off not only current stress, but cumulative stress. So, uh, Rick, I mean, we're, it, we're, spe it, we're uh, spending more time on this than I had planned to, but I think it's because I'm interested. What's the easiest way or the best way, not easiest, the best way for someone to begin to learn about TM? Is there an app that our young listeners could go to or is there a program or a podcast or they just got to jump in? What would you recommend to someone who's intrigued by Transcendental Meditation? First thing, what you can't do, you can't read it a book and learn how to do TM. You okay. Mean, that what people do, they say, well, I'll get this and I'll learn it. And those people never, they never continue to do transcendental meditation. I'd go online, go to YouTube and look mm -hmm. up TM and the name Bob Roth. This is Bob a Roth. wonderful, wonderful Bob Roth. And you will see Bob give you an 18 minute uh, explanation. It takes about two and a half hours, three days in a row. I'm, I'm going to jump around a little bit here. You're also involved yeah. in art, and the Smithsonian is one of the most known institutions. It's more than a museum in the world. What, what does art do for you? Do you actually do art yourself? Do you collect art? or That must fulfill you in some way to commit to being on the board of Smithsonian. Yes, but I will tell you, I am drawn more towards Smithsonian for really what it is with regard to the history of us, more the anthropological pieces of that. And you know what most people don't know is James Smithson was a Brit who never actually even came to the United States, who left the money and they created the Smithsonian Institution. Hmm. We've got to raise a billion six every year. And now, uh, but it really, uh, I am more deeply involved, while I love art, I love history and anthropology. Got it. So uh, it's more its more the role it plays in the fabric of the American society. That, that, that makes sense. And the fabric of, 
at who we are and what we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's why I, I very much has, uh, have enjoyed that affiliation. You are listening to the Up To Podcast. We'll be right back. I'm grateful that Calfee, Halter, and Griswold has agreed to once again partner with us. With offices in Ohio and Washington, D.C., this full-service national law firm focuses on every aspect of business and the law, including corporate and finance, intellectual property, and government relations. Let me be clear. I actually approach companies with whom I would like to partner. We just don't accept marketing dollars from anyone. I have been referring my CEO and entrepreneur friends to Calfee for years. I really believe in the firm. One of their notable practice areas is in mergers and acquisitions. And recently, for instance, I introduced a successful entrepreneur in the Midwest to Calfee when he told me that a European-based conglomerate wanted to buy his business. Calfee works with large corporations as well as privately held companies throughout the U.S. and Canada and in Europe and Asia too. So whether it's selling your own business or the more routine needs of creating your first will or anything in between, this firm can really do it all in terms of legal needs. Once again, the firm is Calfee, Halter, and Griswold, and you can find them at calfee.com or on the UpTo Foundation website. Welcome back. You are listening to the Up To Podcast with host Adam Kaufman. Today's guest is Rick Goings. Your life is filled with so many interesting pursuits. We haven't even talked about the the federation that you co-founded, that you're the chairman of. What are you most looking forward to now that the pandemic protocols are relaxing? In some places, we still have a little ways to go, but is there something you're really looking forward to doing or returning to? Yeah, the and probably this is redundant with what others are saying is the actual connection face to face. And there's something about touching uh, yes. one another. And, uh, uh, you know, the culture, you know, it, uh, it it was kind of a challenge to get Tupperware because when uh, the Me Too time, because Tupperware all around the world is a hugging culture. It is mm. lifting people up all around the world. So I'd have to, I'd go on stage and I'd have to throw away uh, shirts I had on because, but the the the, the, the actual being with people. Uh, Me to too. That. But I'm Lebanese. We hug and kiss everyone we see, and oh. it's so hard to not do that. And oh, everyone's looking forward to that that aspect of a return really? to normalcy. It, yeah, that's what connects us. Right. I do believe we can uh, we can lean in more of these kinds of things we're working on with regard to. I believe in virtual is going to add great things, but, but you know the years I've served on so many public company boards, you don't need to be together six times a year for a board meeting. I could see doing a, a spring meeting and a fall meeting, and the other meetings mm-hmm. you can do virtual. So Real I mean, I think one of the biggest words. Well, here I think one of the biggest words. I keep saying it. It's this word here of what's ahead is and. and. Okay. I mean, what do you mean do by that? This. Uh, it it is not. Do we go to in person or virtual? I think we do both. For 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 example, right now, uh, the this wonderful app called WhatsApp. 
I will get in the car in the morning in the morning and a dear friend of mine who's isolated in Switzerland. I don't talk to Simon. I see Simon. Mm-hmm. I see what he's eating, etc. Right. What it has done, it has moved me to a point. Telephone calls aren't satisfying if I could see you. Yeah. I've been lucky enough with Path North. I get to see you. So you really get to know some somebody, but a telephone call, okay. Right, it's not, not like the same. Being there. Yeah, ideal yeah. in person, but WhatsApp and these various video mediums have really helped some with the emotion. I know my mother in North Carolina for a year without seeing us, we thankfully had the video technology to at least see each other while we were talking, and it made a world of difference. You're absolutely right. Let me ask you about something different. I um, asked uh, your close friend David you know, to shed some light on, on your life, and he asked me to pose this question to you. Do you think the failures that you also experienced made you more hungry for success, or did they allow you to appreciate some of the successes later? I feel like, you know, so many leaders talk about be fearless, take risks, don't be afraid to fail. But that's hard to do. But you took some risks and not everything was a big success. But how do you think that shaped your eventual ascension to Tupperware CEO? Well, I think that it kind of went along with, uh, you know, the advice always of my mother that these kinds of things are, are not the things that break you, but redundant, but the things that really make you it toughened toughened me up i uh, i always teach uh our guys have always the uh as far as contingency planning the positive assumption of a negative result i plan for the best Hmm. but i also know where the exits are and when to exit on those kinds of of things so uh you know I, i was a booming success in my uh, 20s. I thought I, I thought I was a rock star. What were you and doing then? then? Is that when you had the alarm company? Yes, and uh, and then the federal government changed the rules with regard to. I should have anticipated it. They made it a law that you had to put fire detectors in a home. And then Sears started selling for five dollars what we were selling for fifty, and you could get a three dollar rebate and. Mm. All of a sudden, I learned you have to pivot. So mm-hmm. I pivoted, pivoted that company. In my 30s, I'll tell you, I uh, created a company uh, that re- we really were early on in the weight loss industry, and I got my head handed to me. I learned <laughs> weight loss is a quarter business. Everybody signs up there or the fitness center. And then you notice, you know, the, the big use of both Nordic tracks by May of each year, people hang shelving. clothes on them. Yeah, shelving, exactly. Yes. <laughs> that's it. And so that didn't work. And that's why people ask me, well, wait a minute, then you did a shift to you went to a Fortune 500 Avon. Why did you go there? And I used to love to tell the story. I said, let's see, why did I go to Avon? Oh, I remember. I needed a job. (laughs) So I had to hit the refresh button there. Now, why they wanted me, though, was I had 15 years 
as a general manager and an entrepreneur, and they were so siloed with functional disciplines, right. I was strange. So within a year, I'm running Germany, and I couldn't even speak German then. Then I'm running well, Austria. You, you had the you had the history, the track record of resilience. To me, I think the two yeah. most important components of being a good leader are one, being a good listener, in my opinion, and two, being resilient. And both of those things yeah. are hard to teach somebody. Um, we can try to be better listeners. We can try to be more resilient. But the resilience only comes from, like, you were describing some of your past challenges, some of your loss, some of your failures. That's how we hone our resiliency, right? Yeah, and resilience is absolutely, uh, absolutely key. People do never have to tap on that. They're lucky, but it doesn't happen hardly ever. It, it, it is happen. interesting too. Big lesson I got, I got by the time I went to Avon, because in my twenties. My wife Susan tells me now, she said, you know what? I don't think I would have liked you that much. You're a little too flashy. I learned this here in Charlottesville that because I lived kind of a high lifestyle in my 20s. And I learned this because I could audit any law school or business school classes when I was living there. And this business school professor, he doesn't even remember. He's passed away now that he told me this. He said, Rick, the only money you're ever going to be worth is the money you have if you don't work. That is locked in my mind. And so ever since my late 30s, what I've really been interested in is passive income. Yes, you get this today, mm -hmm. but people don't sit there and think about building this passive income. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I pass that on to the people who I've mentored. Sure, your, your, your protégés, your mentees, your children, I'm sure. If I were talking to any of your kids right now, what do you think they would say is most important to you at this point in your life? Well, I think what they're probably tired of hearing from me is, firstly, I always used to say honor bright. I, they know I never could stand lying uh, mm. on that. I, I think they would tell you right now the pursuits of uh, these causes. I mean, they know they're tired of hearing. I, I write on a my buck card every day. I used to be given this every day, all my appointments, like a doctor's appointment. But I write out at the top of my card every day that this first thing it says is AV, and that means add value. Add value and to anything that you're doing. Value. Everything, and if you, you're at, 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 uh, up at the farm, there's signs around there that just say, add value, add value to it. And so if I get off a call and I'm with a friend of mine who they're going through a tough time and trying to figure out what do I do next? This doesn't work. I check it off with a sense of, you know, you know, I, mm. I, I, I plus the world uh, add today. Add value. But, but, so, by the way, somebody has asked me, well, why don't you just have that printed? Because the other side of your card, it has your email and your name. And I said, why don't you just have this printed? I said, no, I want to write this down with a pen every day. We're cut from the same cloth. I hope you don't mind me saying I have my cards in my lapel every day. I do my daily list to it. it drives my family crazy. I have the list all over the place. But there's something 
awesome as well, not only the reminder on the front end, but when I'm done crossing out whatever that task was for the day, there's some odd satisfaction in doing that. Have you discovered that? Oh, absolutely. We just do it a little different way. I do a box and I check the box. It feels good checking the box. In addition to adding value, what's next on your to-do list, big picture? Do you have a big goal in the, in the coming months or this summer or the year ahead? What's something you're most looking forward to sinking your teeth into? Uh, you know what? I love the time Susan and I have gotten together, but uh, we, I really want to see us be able to get out there and accelerate what we're doing with this World Federation of Youth Clubs. I mean, we've now got uh, uh, 33 countries where we've established wow. these clubs uh, and we're helping them. Congratulations. Uh, you know, what most people understand is uh, the U.S. only has uh, less than 5% of the world's kids. And if you've been watching anything the last couple of days uh, about the southern border, and particularly those kids are coming across from Central America, we've mm-hmm. established clubs in that area. And for mm-hmm. very little money, what we do is we give them a safe space, a caring adult. We teach them programs. Uh, they first learn. They learn uh, how to use uh, technology. So I mean, that's a that's a huge quest. Uh, I often ask people, are they spending more time working on their resume or their eulogy? You know, the David Brooks challenge that yes. uh, we've all heard him talk about and the TED Talk. You, it's very clear. For you, it's all about legacy. You are living your legacy pursuit every day, Rick. That is just tremendous. And so I want to thank you for being with us today on the Up To podcast. You've made our show a much better one. And it's shocking to me how, how quick the time goes. But I'm really grateful for your time today. I enjoy every minute I get to spend with you, Adam. And so I'm hoping one of these days I get to join you for this special trip of Path North in France. We're going to go to Chamonix together, maybe this September, God willing. Yes, that'd be wonderful. Thank you. My very best. Thank you for listening to the Up To podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. For more information about Up To, please visit our website at uptofoundation.org. And we'd love to hear from you with your feedback. Now let's check in with today's mailbag. This comes from Mo via Facebook. Hi, Adam. I wanted to let you know that I thoroughly enjoyed your podcast with Dave Ciccone, especially since I am in the same business. You did your usual remarkable work of making the interview conversational and easy flowing as you jumped to different topics. In particular, I love the quote that went, if you want to go fast, do it alone. But if you want to go far, do it together. That was so meaningful and powerful. Congrats again on your podcast relocation to DC. Thank you, Mo. We appreciate the feedback. The Up To Podcast is produced by BL Media Group right outside of the nation's capital in Northern Virginia. We'll see you next time.